This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, Session 2. And it's going to do what it's going to do, baby. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Ruffini. We're coming at you with information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? It's Nick Ruffini here with the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And I'm here with my buddy Scott Mercado from the multi-platinum selling group Candlebox. And I've come to know Scott through the artist relations stuff that I do with Boso Drumsticks. And finally got to meet Scott last week in person. They were, he was playing up in New York City with his group Candlebox at Irving Plaza. So I asked him if he would like to do this show, and, uh, and he seemed pretty excited about doing it. So, Scott, thanks so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. It's great to have you on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you, Nick. Good to be here. Yeah, man, absolutely. So you are in Cleveland right now, which we were just talking about a little bit, right? I sure am, yep. I'm in Cleveland. Hello, Cleveland. Cleveland rocks, man. <laughs> yeah, it does. So, uh, so how long is this tour that you guys are out on now? We have been out pretty much, pretty consistently since January okay. uh, 2013. Um, you know, um, we, we've been out pretty much, yeah, pretty consistently. We had a month off in March. Um, so, you know, we're definitely a, a hardworking tour, uh, touring band. Um, and uh, we had a little break about uh, four or five, no, about three weeks ago, Um and we're going to be, this leg is going to last until the 28th of this month. And then we'll have, um, then we'll have a little break after that. Oh, okay, cool, cool. So, so yeah. it's going well so far though? Oh yeah, it's going great. We're, uh, you know, uh, as you know, we're on tour with Hinder mm-hmm. and, uh, we're, we're, we're co-headlining with them and they're a great band and a great bunch of guys and, and, uh, we're just having a lot of fun being on tour. Awesome. And you know what I meant? I meant to ask you, um, Last week when we were there, Dave and I were talking. So do you guys flip-flop every other night? Does one? Do you guys go on first one night and then they flip-flop, or is it always the same setup? It's always the same setup. Okay. I wasn't sure. Yeah. I wasn't sure how that worked, if uh, if you guys flip-flop back and forth or, or what, so... Yeah, we we do it. We do it this way. It would be, it would be a challenge. It'd be actually uh, kind of a mess, um, because, you know, they have a stage, we don't... Um, I should say a big, huge drum riser. We don't have that. We don't really need one. Okay. Um, and it would be kind of a logistical nightmare if we had to take that down along with everything else every night just so we could, you know, be, uh, I mean, it would be a lot of work. That makes total sense. So, yeah, they just, they, they, yeah. So, they, so basically we're, you know, even though it's co-headlining, you know, um, uh, consider co-headlining, I should say, we're, we're on every night before that. Right. Which makes sense. I mean, if they have yeah. this, this big setup, you know, like what are you gonna? You can't break yeah. that whole thing down, and then and then you guys, you know, and then you guys hit exactly. So yeah, I can totally see that. You know, and we're not we're not a bunch of ego ego guys. Where, you know, we have to be like, oh no, we have to be last. You know. <laughs> no man, I mean, when we were uh, when we were on the bus the other night, it was it was nice and refreshing, man. Everybody was really uh, super down to earth and and very warm and and welcoming, and it was cool, man. It was a very it was oh. a very nice experience. Thank you, I appreciate that. Thank you. I'm glad to hear. Yeah, no, no worries. Thank you. I'm glad you. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that kind of stuff. Yeah, man. I. It's like, you know what? The the more that I've, um, you know, get deeper and deeper into this business, I feel like the more successful people are, it's almost like the more humble they are. 
you know, for yeah, the most part. I mean, you guys, you, you know. have, I'm sure that you've run into to some people, you know, as I have that are like these egomaniacs. But for the most part, man, it's like everybody's just, I think everybody's just happy to be playing music and, and you know, to be doing it for a living. It's always like the guys that are that are struggling in like the, the crappy clubs and, and that aren't making any money or aren't doing anything. Those are the guys that are like the biggest egomaniacs. Yeah, it's, it's kind of true. I don't know why that is, you know, but you know, I think as you, first of all, as you, as you grow older and, um, you realize that, you know, I, I think you, 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 as you get older, you, you realize just how rare it is to be, you know, successful in this industry. Mm-hmm. And and for me, I can speak for myself. It's that part of it is extremely humbling, you know. Um, and you know the fact that people are out there spending money um, so that you can do what you absolutely love to do is, you know, it, it's 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 such a rare thing and such a blessing. So it they're really be egoed out about it or to be arrogant about it. Uh, you know, to me, you're right. There are people that just don't care. Right. To me, it's just backwards. It's, it's not cool. Um, because the people that are, are helping you pay your bills doing doing what you, you love to do are the ones you need to be appreciative of. And, and you know, it's like, just like any business, you know, the, the customer um, has got to come first. Right. And, and you know, we're not rock stars. You know, we're rock musicians. Right, right, right. I think that, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, man. And it's like, especially yeah. with what you're saying. I mean, you guys have been doing it for, you know, for 20 years. I mean, 20 years plus, but yeah, just, I mean, what's that? <laughs> 20 plus years. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Way too long. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, and it's to have that sustainability for, for that long, you know, you can't help but to to be, you know, to feel humble, I would imagine, and, and just thankful that you can do it every day, you know. Because there's a lot of people that, I mean, you know, the percentage rate of the people that, that try it and don't make it, you know, that's, to, to yeah. be able to do that every day. I mean, I, not on the level that you guys are doing it, but every day I get to wake up and do stuff with drums all day. And it's, it's awesome, man. It, it, it really is. I hope that, I, my hope is that, you know, people always get to do what, what they love doing every day, you know, which sadly a lot of people don't. Yeah. But, yeah. You know. No, you're, you're absolutely right. So let's, uh. Let's start, you know, back back from the beginning, if you don't mind. Like, how did uh, how did you get into playing? And 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 let's talk about that a little bit. Like, leading up to to Candlebox and and how that whole thing happened. Well, um, I'll never forget it to this day. Um, when I was in third grade, I was about let's see, I was about eight or seven or eight years old. Um, the local um, middle school band came and played for my elementary school and I thought they were so cool and and the and the one thing that I just could not swing my eyes away from was what the drummer the drummer right. I was watching him you know and and you know I'm just this little kid and I'm watching him and and he's he got this huge drum solo at the end and and he's all sweaty, and he's, his face is beat red, and obviously it was, it was, and, and everybody, all the, you know, all, all the kids around me were just like, wow, that's so cool, and I, and uh, at that point, at that time, I was actually playing guitar, and I thought to myself, wow, the guitar has got to be the most boring <laughs> instrument to <in> the <laughs> on the planet, 
And I, I ran home, literally, and I said, Mom, I gotta have a drum. I gotta play drums. I gotta play drums. Nice. Now I started hitting, hitting things around the house, you know, with my hands. And and she finally uh, capitulated and said, okay, all right, we're gonna get you a snare drum. So, she got me a snare drum, and she said, if you can prove to me that you really want to be a drummer, you're gonna master the snare drum for two or three years. And, of course, I was... I was mortified. Was it like the the the, the sparkle snare? Uh, no, actually, it was, it's, it was actually a uh, Ludwig Superphonic. Nice. Yeah, and they were a lot cheaper back then too. You know. <laughs> um, yeah, and and um, and uh, I just would play on it. I was in school band until finally, a few years later, she she bought me a a, a bright blue premier drum set um for christmas and that was that was it i mean then i was off and running um i actually that's funny that you said i started i played guitar well i played piano for years uh like you know because i got started playing drums late i didn't start till i was 15 but um but then i I, like i was like man i want to play the guitar then i started playing and i was like this is not happening, man. I couldn't, like, yeah. I couldn't get, I, yeah. I just couldn't get it. You know, it just didn't make any sense to yeah, me. Yeah, I had the same problem. I couldn't stretch my fingers. You know, yeah. and not only that, but my, my teacher was a flake. She would, she would, she was never, we'd go over, and I'd go over and get my lesson, and she was never there half the time. Ah, uh, that's lame. So, yeah, it was, so anyway, but it was, a, I guess maybe it was a blessing in disguise. So. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. So then, um, so then what, so did you take private lessons or did you just study on your own or would you do that in, in terms of that? Well, um, again, my mom kind of, kind of took over and, and she said, okay, well, if you're going, if you're going to play an instrument, you're going to learn how to do it correctly. Right. Was your um, mom, was your mom a musician at all or no? No, no, she wasn't, but she always but you know, she was a nurse, and she was always really kind of hammering the whole education thing. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's what she was big on. Whatever you do, you know, right? Don't just kind of blindly do it. Sure. You know? um, and I didn't really need any motivation to practice. I'd practice every day as long as I could. Um, um, and uh, um, what she did was she started me um, with a drum teacher named Steve Boyd, and he was really cool. He was a marching drummer. Um, so you did, like, the whole ru- the rudiment thing? and Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. And he would just have me, you know, do the rudiments on the snare drum and get those down. He was a real good teacher in that regard because he was very strict on, on technique. Um, and then after a while, I went to a different guy named Dennis Van Ryan, um, and he, he was actually the guy that also got me into a um, technique um, and and basically I had I had a having those two teachers at a young age stressing technique I think was a really good thing um, so yeah after that I, I after I got my drum set um, she got me into private lessons and I and that's that's kind of how I got started started doing it doing drums awesome so do you think now that I mean would you consider yourself a strong rudimental player or um, well, you know, uh, yes and no, I suppose. Um, I don't, you know, I don't, uh, sit around, sit around the 
hotel and do flammadiddles or flammacues all day. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, I try to work. I try to, when I'm doing my warm-ups and, and my days off, I try to keep my, my wrists warmed up by doing, you know, doubles and singles and, and paradiddles. I like doing para-paradiddles, too. Right. Um, and I'll do Swiss triplets. Right. And this, but I was going to say the way that you play though, you have, I mean, you're more of like, you sound like more of like a swing guy, but you play rock, uh-huh. you yeah. know? So like I, when I was saying rudimental, I, I didn't want you to be offended by that. Like, I don't think you sound, oh, no, 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 you know, not at all. I don't think you sound not choppy by any means, you know? Oh no, I, I appreciate that. Um, that's a big compliment. Um, cause you're right. Um, I did start playing, I started off playing rock, um, in fact, one of the first albums I ever I ever owned was um, Boston's first record, and I learned every lick on that record. Every right. one. Then I started listening to The Who and Led Zeppelin, and um, then I started to, to listen to other drummers. Like, and I then I I got introduced to Twenty Williams and Terry right. Bozio, and they were doing things that I'd never heard before. They were I mean they were blowing me away with this weird technical stuff and then I listened to uh, players like um, um, Alex Acuna mm-hmm. and, and they were doing all this confusing stuff with with you know um, you know with uh, regards to sticking and um, and all this you know all this crazy you know the limb separation all that I'm, I'm like wow how do these guys how do these guys do that you're like what um, the heck is this yeah exactly <laughs> You know, I started listening. <laughs> You're like, I don't know anything. Jazz. Yeah, right. Exactly. It was yeah. very humbling. I'm like, oh my god, I I really kind of suck. You know, that's how, the first time I ever I ever heard Tony Williams. I was like, oh my god. I yeah. was like, I'm never playing again. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. Yeah. That's Go ahead. Sorry, my, I cut you off. My first one, yeah, <laughs> and Buddy Rich, of course. You know, he's mm-hmm. probably my all time favorite. Um, and um, you know, it was just like, you know, how how do they how do they how do they do all that crazy stuff with the left hand and the right hand and, you know, and, and the feet and all that stuff. Um, and, and that's, I was about, I'd say about, uh, by the time I was about 14 or 15, I kind of started to get tired of, of doing the rock, rock thing. And I really started to, to listen to other drummers, like, like jazz drummers. And so was I it just not challenging enough totally, for you or just, you were just yeah, hearing yeah, different exactly. things in your head? It just stopped being challenging for me. Um, right. It really did. Uh, you know, doing like a, a fast samba beat is more challenging than doing a slow rock beat. And sure. It's just kind of the way it is. And, and when I would listen to these drummers do this kind of stuff, whether it was a fast jazz rhythm or like Buddy Rich or, you know, a super fast samba or um, even like a like a, a mambo or a Mozambique or, you know, uh, some other ones I, I like. I like to listen to Plena uh, and Comparsa. These rhythms are, are you know, tricky. And another thing too, I, I should mention here, Nick, is that my dad actually had a, a pretty indirect um, influence on me too. Even though they got divorced, my parents got divorced when I was nine years old. Mm-hmm. My dad was a big, you know, being Puerto Rican. I'm half Puerto Rican. I don't, I don't like it. I mean, I, I mean I, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't look. I don't look it. I didn't mean I didn't like it. I don't look like it. <laughs> I, I just really don't mean that. You don't have, I don't you look can't, like it. It, does, it doesn't matter if you like it or not, you are. So it's, yeah. you know, yeah, I'm half, exactly. a, I'm half no, Italian, right? <laughs> you know, whether I want to be half Italian or not, I am. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I, and I do like it. I didn't mean that at all. I no, I know. I was um, <laughs> um, But um, 
Um, so anyway, he's a he's a he's a Puerto Rican from the Bronx, and uh, oh, okay. he would he would bring home this amazing Latin music, and I would I would listen to it, and I would be so entranced by the feel and everything else that we were talking about the the drumming and all that. So um, having those influences at a young age definitely kind of steered me a little bit away from the rock thing. Um, right. And opened my mind up to, you know, jazz and, and Latin music, especially Latin music and, and that kind of stuff. So Nice. Yeah, I got into some Latin, I got into a bunch of Latin stuff I remember when I was in when I was in college and it just really Yeah. And I feel I, I kinda was the same way that you are. I was like, man, this stuff is just intense. You know, mm-hmm. I had I'll yeah. never forget I had there was a guy that came in in college, um, his name was Ney Rosaro and he played some stuff on a triangle and I was literally like that's better than I can play on a whole drum set <laughs> and he that, did like all this <laughs> oh he did all this like crazy yeah. like muting and and he was doing all yeah. kinds of crazy stuff and I was like I, I want to dig into this so I did for years I was like really yeah. into into some Latin stuff so which was cool man because I so I totally understand what's that sorry go ahead no, I was just saying that I totally understand what you're saying, how it's just yeah. those those rhythms are just, they're so intriguing. And, and then once you get inside them, you're like, oh, it gets deeper and then it gets deeper and then it gets yeah. deeper, which is, which is awesome. Yeah. Exactly. So that, so what'd you do? So you switched back to, so you got back into rock after that, I guess, or. Well, yeah, what happened was, uh, you know, um, basically I, I went to high school and we didn't really have much of a band at the high school. It was a Catholic high school. Um, mm-hmm. And so there really wasn't a, there wasn't a huge music program there. Um, but I did have a really cool music director who, who really just kind of like, you know, fostered, uh, I should say inspired uh, me to and play. It was, the band was uh, not big. It wasn't a huge, you know, uh, uh, I want to say it wasn't a, it wasn't a, it wasn't a big time high school band, you know, a, a jazz jazz thing. Right. Um, but I did have a lot of fun. I, I at that at that point I really started to get serious about playing drums. And I told my parents, you know, while I was about to graduate from high school, you know, I, I really want to go to a music school. And I think the school for me is is a musician institute in Hollywood. This was around four. And at first they were like a little bit. We don't know about that. I don't know if that's a good idea. And, and basically, I, but, you know, I pretty much stood my ground. And there was no doubt. You, you were like, there's no doubt. This is what I want to do for the rest of my exactly. life. Exactly. Absolutely. No right. doubt at all. This is what I want. Exactly. Um, and they said, okay, well, we'll support you. Um, and they did. They supported me 100%. And I, you know, and I went down there. Um, I graduated. Um, and then when I got back up here, uh, you know, at that point, down there, I was in, I got an excellent kind of the thing about PIT is you 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 get kind of like a, a concentrated, just focused kind of sort of training down there. Um, mm-hmm. My chops got better. Um, you know, um, my uh, everything across the board got better. Um, um, like I listened to. to Incredible drummers that I were doing things I, I I've never I didn't know were humanly possible like Vinnie Caliuta, um, you know with Frank Zappa, mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, Ralph Humphrey was there of course at that time, um, and uh, 
you know, you could really get really good separation of the limbs, you know, like uh, doing all that crazy syncopated stuff. Um, anyway, so I came back up here after I graduated from there. Is that, not to cut you off, is that the, um, what's the name of the school, the Musicians Institute? And yeah, it was percussionist too. That's in Hollywood, California. Yeah. So that's okay because I know I was just talking to Daniel Glass, and he was saying that he went to an institute there, but he went to I want to say it was called like the Dick Grove School of Music or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard of that one. That's a different one. Yeah, okay. that, that one's got a good good reputation too. Yeah, I know, and I and I thought that one of them changed names or whatever. That's why I was just okay. Sorry, go ahead. I'm rambling. Don't worry about it. Oh, no, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so go ahead. Um, so you were. <laughs> Well, that's basically it. Um, and then after I graduated there, um, I came back, I came back up to Seattle. Um, and I decided I wanted to get into, I wanted to get into school a bit more. Um, so I applied for the University of Washington. Um, and when I got in there, I really wanted to, to by then I was like, okay, I, I got to play jazz. I really want to play jazz. Because um, all my favorite drummers at that point were jazz drummers, mm-hmm. um, or at least you could tell these drummers that were influenced by jazz, even sure. someone like Bob Bonham. You know? Oh yeah, um, yeah. And so I got there. Um, I, I turned out. I auditioned for all the jazz groups, and uh, again, I was I was totally humbled because I thought I was, frankly, I was hot stuff. And I don't mean stuff when I got right. the idea. Um, and I was humbled by by the the caliber of musicianship at the University of Washington. These guys were could run circles around me when it came to jazz, and they were monster readers too. They could read charts that couldn't believe. So um, I'm like, wow, here I am. I'm thinking I'm pretty cool, and I'm being blown away by all these great drummers here. Um, anyway. I did make it into a few of the bands, though. I, I, um, over the course of, of three years while going to the UW, I got into the, uh, the uh, Studio Jazz Ensemble, which is like a big band. Mm-hmm. I played for the Jazz Combo, the Percussion Ensemble, and I played for the Contemporary Jazz Ensemble. Nice. And playing for all those groups and studying by the, the incredible, amazing teacher named Tom Collier, who's actually um, probably one of the premier vibraphone players on this planet. He's also just a great all-around percussionist. Um, really helped influence my playing. And when I left UW, um, that's kind of where I was at. Um, and you know, I, at, at that point, I was I was playing around the city for for jazz groups. For so was there like a was there a scene there um, in Seattle or in you know in Seattle a jazz scene there? Yes. It was small. It was not very big. It was small, um, and it was the kind of scene where, you know, it was small and everyone knew everyone, you know. Right. Um, and, and, yeah, I did. I got involved in it. Um, one of the biggest honors I ever had was when um, Tom Collier asked me to dig with him. I mean, here's this monster vibraphone percussionist who's, who played with Frank Zappa, um, asked me to play with him and he would write oh, all wow. this crazy music. So, yeah, right. I know. And, and he would write all this crazy music. Like, you know, I was, I remember playing this one piece that he wrote called me, uh, Mr. Ant's Amazing Adventure. It was in 11 very fast. <laughs> um, so it was like three, four minus one sixteenth notes. It was crazy. 
Um, and uh, anyway, so it was that kind of that kind of stuff that I really started getting into jazz. And so, yeah. Um, and so when you were when he asked you to do this gig, were you at that point? Were you kind of like, all right, I'm starting to. Not that you've arrived, but you're starting to get validated for, you know, the decision to do this yeah. full time and and everything. Where you kind of like, yeah. and before that, where you know, I'm sure. I mean, I'm. It's the same with everybody. I'm. I was the same way. Like, did you second guess yourself for a while or? Oh, absolutely. I'm like, uh, you know, I, I have a little bit of an inferiority complex as it is. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, you bet. Absolutely. You know. Um, and. Uh, you know, when, when people start calling you and asking you to play, it, it's like it, it just ups your confidence level a little bit more, a right. little bit more, and a little bit more. You're like, maybe I um, don't suck as much as I thought. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. You're like, I still suck, exactly. but maybe not as yeah. much. <laughs> you know? I don't suck as much as I used to. As right, as right, I right. I, just, right. I suck, but I'm not like super sucky. <laughs> right. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> it's a good cool, way of putting cool. it, I think. What's that? <laughs> I think that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, because, you know, it's, especially, you know, you coming out of out of school and, and yeah. being like, man, you know, trying to break into different scenes and stuff, and then to have that happen, you know, it's nice. I, I remember, like, going to watch guys play and really looking up to them and then gigging with them. You know, and that's a, exactly, yeah. And, and, you're and like, when oh. they ask you, yeah, you're just on. You're just like, wow. You, just, you know, you just you just feel so honored. I mean, you know, or uh, it's just like, wow. I'm just amazed. He asked. I was just amazed. He asked me. I was like, I was absolutely floored. I'm like, oh my gosh, kidding? What an honor, you know? That's awesome. So, you, were you still in school when that happened? That was after you graduated. I was I was still in school. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So was that like a a permanent or a, a constant thing, or was it just like a one off? Or well, it, you see, it was actually kind of a one off because at that point, um, I was I was working quite a bit, especially in in music theater. Uh, I was I was doing like a lot of a lot of shows in the uh, orchestra pit, um, oh, okay. kind of doing multi percussionist stuff, drum sets, um, a lot of stuff. And it actually paid pretty well in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I, I, I uh, was paid through what's called uh, Actors Equity, which is the stage version of, um, uh, I believe it's, the, what is it, Screenwriters the, Guild? Is that? Yeah, uh, Screen yeah. Actors Guild, SAG. Yes, th- yeah, thank you, yes. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's one called um, Equity, and that's actually the, Equity is the, Equivalent, the um, what should we call it, the uh, stage equivalent. Anyway, um, I got a lot of shows through that, um, and at that point, I was able. I was starting to, to basically in the Seattle area, which is kind of tough because at the time it was kind of a small deal. I started making a living just playing music and teaching privately, teaching drums that privately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So then, you're. So how old are you at this point? Not, I mean, then. Oh, um, I'm I'm about at that point. I'm about um, I am about twenty twenty two years old. Okay, so you're still young, d- 
doing doing yeah. the jazz stuff. Um, exactly. So what? So then, what happens then? So you start you're doing the theater thing, and did that kind of dry up, or did you feel like it was time to get out of that? Or well, you know, it was funny because like at that point in time, I really, I really hated everything. I really mean this too. I I didn't like anything <laughs> on the radio. Um, oh, I thought, that, yeah, I thought you I just meant in it, general. It, You're like, I hate everything. <laughs> yeah, I know. It sounds horrible. But I was, you know, I was pretty much, I had become kind of a jazz snob. Right. I'll be honest. I I became a total snob to anything. Like, uh, I, I, I really had a, I, I wasn't into winger. I wasn't into any of the hair bands. Right. Um, was not in any way influenced by them or their drummers. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it was all 80s hair bands at that point. And also, it was all kind of um, kind of techno pop, too, which was, of course, mostly drum, drum machines. You know, all this, yeah, there wasn't much cool stuff. Uh, yeah, it was just, I don't know. It was a bad time for music. I, I think, think so, too. It was, it I was think like, anyway. You know, it was all, yeah, it was fun, but it was, right. it was, it was not, it was, at that point, you know, it wasn't like that, with the exception of a very few, like the police um, and Sting, right? Um, who I thought were doing some pretty amazing things, um, even in the pop realm. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't think it was there was anything really good going on. And then, you know, I remember this one band that made it big, um, I, and they were just there. I just remember thinking, like, well, these guys are one are going to be huge and number two um, it's mostly because they're of their looks and, and they were called Millie Vanilli and then there was a <laughs> and I remember watching a video it, you know it was all kind of like you know Paula Abdul the radio waves um, and man people were pissed about Millie Vanilli oh I know right I mean they were like people were fear- yeah. Remember? do you remember the scenes of like the the uh, I do the paver running over all the CDs yeah. and they were like go, jeez, <laughs> like, absolutely do. I mean, these so people were acting it, like they like they they stole millions and millions. Of, well, I guess they did. In they kind of did. Yeah. yeah, they they you know they they it was like fraud, total fraud. I, I have to agree with you a hundred percent. Yeah, like total fraud. Yeah, um, it, and, it definitely and, was, and people were not happy. <laughs> no, actually, you're absolutely hundred percent right. I think it was justified because, you know, I mean, when you go and see an artist live, that's what you're doing. You want to see them live. Right. Anyway. And it's one thing, I mean, uh, and I get like the, I get the show aspect of things where people have like backing vocals and, and, you know, sometimes they're, they're lip sync. I get that. But like these guys weren't even singing the song to begin with. You know, and that's the part that's really lame about it, where it's like, come on, man, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, I should say, another another artist I really like, and, you know, I, the stuff that I did listen to when it came to rock was, was mostly 60s and 70s rock. Right. Um, I still listen to Led Zeppelin a lot. I still listen to Rush, of course. Neil Peart was a huge influence, I should mention here. Well, you guys, you, you got to tour with, with those guys, too, didn't you? Yeah. What's sure that? did. Sure did. I'm yeah. sorry. We're going to get into that. In a li- I want to get into that in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yes, we did. Um, and he was a huge influence on my life. Awesome. Um, so even though, 
they weren't really cool to listen to. I was listening to, I was, you know, I listened to Jimi Hendrix. I'd listen to, you know, a lot of the Beatles. I'd still listen to Led Zeppelin. Um, and I was also very influenced by the band Yes and Bill Bruford. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I was very, very influenced by a band, um, not Wham! UK, but a band called UK with Terry Bozio. Oh, okay. They would do some crazy, crazy stuff. And I listened to Frank Zappa at that point because, you know, I mean, Frank Zappa's kind of hard to listen to for some people. It gets a little heavy <laughs> for me once in a while. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Sometimes I'm... I, just... I went... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just... Sometimes it's just a little... It's just a little much for me, and I'm like... I feel like my head's going to explode. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. Um, you know, and when I remember the first time... I heard the black the black page. Um, mm-hmm. I said I thought to myself, "This is impossible. This is not humanly possible to do." <laughs> <laughs> um, and when I went to the when I went to, and uh, I should mention this, um, you know, when I went to the uh, University of Washington, I wanted to, to be admitted in the school of music there. Um, and so what I did was I I said, "What am I going to audition with? I have no idea." what I'm going to audition with. What do I do? And I said to myself, wait a minute. I'm going to audition with the Black Page because I had practiced that thing day and night. They're like, this guy's out of his mind. <laughs> yeah, oh no, I had some very unrealistic views like, you know, someday I'm going to play with Frank Zappa. Yeah, right. Um, and uh, <laughs> so I practiced it and I nailed it. I went in there and I was in front of Four musical professors, the uh, head of the jazz department, the head of the classical department, the head of the percussion department, which was, you know, uh, um, Tom Collier, and the head of also uh, uh, William O. Smith, who played with Dave Brubeck. Um, he was in charge of the contemporary jazz ensemble and the contemporary orchestra there. Um, and Stuart Dempster, who was, who was also huge. They were all these props. I was sitting there in front, and here I am, a 20-year-old kid at that time. <laughs> with a drum set and I showed it to them. I gave them the black page. All of them except one have never seen it before. And they looked at me and they looked at this thing and they kind of like huddled. And they're like, um, uh, what's, what's, what's about to happen here? <laughs> exactly. So anyway, they huddled around the black page. Um, and Tom says, okay, go ahead. And I said, okay. So I counted it off and I played it from beginning to end. Um, and they all stopped and they kind of huddled around. And then one of them was like, um, I think he was, he was here, wasn't he? No, he was, you know, and, and only one guy I found out later, I got five out of five stars by each, by each, uh, um, professor, only one guy turns out. I found out afterwards knew where I was. Really, um, the whole time, and that was that was Tom Collier because he actually, you know, he actually played with Frank Zappa. Right, right, right. So, so he got he kind of like computed to him a little bit. Exactly, exactly. Right. He knew exactly where I was, and he even knew where I had a couple of little little screw ups too. Right, and everybody else is like, "This kid's like, crazy. He's good, but he's crazy." Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, right, exactly, it, exactly, and I. And one of the professors came to me. He was like, "You know, I got to be honest. I had no idea where you were. Wow. That whole thing. I had no idea. 
what you're doing or anything. Um, I'm like, I'm like, oh, well, uh, well, thank you. I mean, I was, it was kind of a weird backhanded compliment. I right. Think. Not really backhanded, just like, you know. Um, so that's how I got into the dub. I didn't mean to backtrack there, but. No, no, um, no, that's cool. So yeah, yeah. It was a real honor. Real honor. That kind of stuff really does humble you, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So where, so where were we? We were talking about, um, well, the Seattle scene at that time, um, we were talking about the eighties mm-hmm. and, Mil- um, and Millie Vanilli, how you had high aspirations. Millie Vanilli, right, Vanilli. Right, right. <laughs> right. Well, you know, Seattle was always kind of a backwards place. Seattle never got out of, you know, that's where Hart was from. Mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix, Jimi Hendrix, Never, never left Seattle. Seattle was always kind of a backward place, and even a little bit, some to a lot of people was, was even you could say we were kind of behind, behind the scenes, you know, behind the scenes. Right. Um, people would wear black, they'd go out, um, didn't really have any interest in any way what was going on in the pop culture. It was more like a, it was more like a underground kind of. Uh, right. I've never been. I've actually never been to Seattle. So, yeah, yeah. Is it like a, like, is it like an Austin kind of thing, or is it like a? Um, yeah, like I would call it more like a dark Austin. <laughs> okay, that makes Austin, sense. I don't know how else to put it. Yeah, it's very, very creative. Yes, absolutely, very creative kind of atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Very, you go to Austin and, and you feel just you just get this creative, happy vibe. Right. Um, um, maybe because of the weather there, I don't know. See, there was a creative vibe in Seattle, but it had kind of a darker undertone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in this awful. I remember I was just in this awful pop band, um, and um, and I it really wasn't that fulfilled with it. But I was making money doing it, and it kind of kept me in the scene, you know. And it, it, I dabbled in everything. At that point, I would right. I wouldn't say no to anything. I would. Whether it was a musical theater, um, a rock thing, um, I, I basically kind of played it all. I really tried to be as versatile as I could. So I could and work. that's kind of—I would think you know—that's that's what you got to do to really to stay relevant and to keep working. If you're going to do it as a professional, if you're going to be a weekend warrior, then you yeah. can kind of pick and choose your gigs. But you know, you got to kind of have that just say no or just say yes. Uh, Mm-hmm. you know, way about you until you carve out a little bit of a niche and then you can start saying, yeah, you know what? I don't really feel like doing that $75 gig here or, or do this gig right. or do that gig. So, yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent, you know, and, and they, and that was the one thing I actually got really good out of, out of, um, PIT, um, I should say MI, we call it MI, musician soup, mm-hmm. is they really try to say, they really try to pound into you, you know, you know, the more diverse, better you can play everything um uh, the, the better the more likely the, the better you can you, you know the, the better living you can make potentially right that's who um, gets hired and yeah it is you know and so at that point i had become a lot less of a jazz snob um i gotta say and i had an appreciation for stuff you know and at that time also because there was so much sequencing um in, in pop at that time, I started to get pretty good playing it, you know, with quick tracks and, se- and sequence music, mm-hmm. um, which is, of course, kind of opposite 
um, what, what, what jazz is, you know, but it was good. It was a good thing. It was a very positive thing for me at that time. Right. Um, so anyway, yeah, that was what was going on then. Cool. And so, so coming out of the, so this was like basically like coming out of the eighties into the nineties, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This was like the late eighties. Um, so fast forward a bit. Um, I go to this party with a friend of mine and I meet this weird kid named Kevin Martin. Um, and he was weird because he had bright bleach blonde hair and he was telling me he wanted to play drums. And he's like, you know, and he was very, very, very outgoing. Um, uh, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, extroverted, uh, vociferous. How's that for a word? That'll work. Yeah. Um, you know, very, uh, uh, yeah, I think that's probably, <laughs> and I, and I, and it, you know, it's funny cause, um, I, uh, you know, on the subject of, of vociferous, I, I remember, you know, thinking this guy's kind of cocky, you know? Mm-hmm. and he's a drummer and that's cool you know and he asked if I you know and he's like and I told him a little bit about my background he's like hey, can you give me lessons and I said sure never panned out but you know I bumped into him at, in, in clubs and we we were always you know am, am, you know, amicable and, and we would talk and stuff um, and um, and then one day well yeah and then and then I was in this pop band that was that was being um, managed by this, this woman that managed another band um, and they were called Soundgarden. Nice. And yeah, and I'm like, and she's like, you know, you should come to one of our shows. And and I, I I said, okay, that sounds good. I'll come on out, you know. And they and then I went to the show, and I'll tell you what, Nick, I was pretty blown away by this. And were they, was Soundgarden like? They weren't that big at the time, though, right? No, oh no, not at all. No. Uh, well, they were only really big in Seattle. Nowhere else. No one had ever heard of them. They were on this tiny little label. Um, and yeah, exactly. No one had ever heard of them. Um, and, you know, I was watching them play at a small club. I'd seen Mother Love Bone and another, another obscure band called Alice in Chains. These <laughs> small clubs you know, all around town. Um, and, you know, and I remember playing at this place called The, uh, the Vogue. And I, and, um, I was Sky Cries Mary. And I remember this one band opened up for us, and um, I don't know if it was Sky Crazy Mary. I take that back. It might have been another band. But anyway, we played with them, and they were absolutely horrible. They they were not very good band, and they were called Nirvana. And um, seriously, <laughs> just like wretched. <laughs> I'm like, you know, and I, yeah, and I'll tell you what, I got excited because all of a sudden in Seattle. Um, the scene was, even though it was kind of like a unique only to itself, I got excited because it was all real drums. It was like an anti, like I said, anti-Milli Vanilli, anti-sort of everything on the radio. Um, right. You know, you had people were listening to all this, you know, like, you know, Mud Honey, um, and people were listening to, uh, you know, sorry, go ahead, were you going to say? No, I was just, it's like Soundgarden, you guys, uh, Nirvana, and and at that time, were you like, man, there's something, 
there's something happening here. Like, could you kind of feel yeah. like this movement, yeah. like you weren't really sure what I, it was, but. Yeah, I, I, I gotta be honest. I mean, I was totally, I was totally, um, you know, kind of like, Oh, this is, this is so cool. I mean, this is really, really cool, you know? Um, and they were calling it grunge and, and, uh, at the time. And, and I just thought it was just so cool. It was, it was all so who were you playing of, with? You know? Who were you playing with when? Sorry, I just totally cut you off. Who no, who were you okay. playing with um, when Nirvana opened for you guys? Were you playing with Candlebox I, or were you playing I with a different band? No, 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 no. Um, I think it, I thought it was uh, Sky Cries Mary, but now that I think about it, I think it was a different band that I was. Oh, okay. With, um, that I can't remember, but I just remember it was kind of like, "Hey, would you mind doing the show for us?" Um, and, um, I said, yeah, sure. Uh, you know, and it was almost kind of like a, it was a band that kind of was almost like a Sonic Youth wannabe kind of sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but it wasn't Sonic Youth. Um, they actually, Sonic Youth actually, uh, has a studio right here in, in Hoboken where I practice. They have a, the, oh, really? The, really? Yeah. That's where their studio is. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I would argue that they're one of the bands that actually started the grunge thing and they're not even from Seattle. Hmm. They're from New York, right? Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and yet, if you listen to early Nirvana, you can hear a huge, huge Sonic Youth influence um, by them. And really, yeah. So, oh yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's my opinion, but um, yeah. So, I mean, they had Sonic Youth had a huge influence, I think, on on uh, on, uh, on the scene in Seattle. Um, They'd be happy to hear that. Yeah. Um, anyway, so um, and, I know I got, and then I got a, a phone call, a kind of a random phone call from a, a girl that I had, you know, dated off and on. Um, and her name was Angie, and she called me and said, "Hey, uh, you know Kevin Martin, right?" I'm like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Well, you know, he's trying to start a band." And I said, "Really?" And she's like, "Yeah, he's he, he's singing now." And something inside of me said, yeah, I see that. I right. see that because he has more of a personality of a singer than anything else. You know? Right, right, right. Um, and I, and I kind of got this weird kind of like, oh, hmm, I'd like to hear him, you know? Right. And I heard him. We jammed with this other guitarist, you know, fast forwarding here. Um, and he had an incredible incredible voice incredible voice and i said you know we're like okay let's start a band let's make it happen yeah let's do it um, our first but yeah exactly um our first band was called uncle duke um and uncle duke was of course you know a hunter s thompson um character on uh what was on doonesbury um, mm -hmm. um <laughs> and uh um and then that broke up, that band broke up, but Kevin and I stayed together. This was now like around 90 or 91. Mm -hmm. um, and then we, we, we decided we still wanted to stay together. Um, the guitarist quit, um, and we pulled in Pete, Peter, um, and we, it didn't work out with the bass player, so we got a new bass player named Barty Martin, and that was the beginning of Candlebox. Nice. Yeah. So I, I'm sorry I'm talking a lot here, but. No, that's what we're here for. I like this. Um, so that got started. And was that was was it? I'm guessing it was a was it a slow start or was it just like 
one thing led to another quickly, and you next thing you know, you're... Well, you know, a lot of people there at the time thought we were an overnight success, which is completely 100% not true. Kevin right. and I have been playing in bands, you know, for about, at that point, like at least two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took a, a well over a year for Candlebox to even get any kind of attention. Um, right by the label, so it was by no means any kind of a quick thing. Right. Yeah. So, with uh, with Soundgarden and you guys and and Nirvana, um, how were you guys amicable with with each other? Was there ever like this this sense of like competition where you guys all friends or? Um. No, we really weren't actually. Uh, that good of friends with everybody. I, I actually knew a lot of them just from playing in different bands. And I was actually more or less on a first name basis with a lot of them just because I played in so many bands. At that point, I was kind of the veteran of the band mm-hmm. uh, that was in the scene. Um, and, you know, I knew the guys in Pearl Jam. I knew the guy, a couple of guys in, in uh, Alice in Chains. Um, and I really didn't know anybody in Soundgarden. Um, but I, I, I knew who they were and um, you know, and, and so it was, it was all kind of like acquaintance. So when we came out, we were on the tail end of the whole grunge scene. Right. And we weren't even really grunge. We were more right. rock, straight ahead rock. So right. um, we got criticized a lot by a lot of the bands there in Seattle, you know, because um, we weren't part of that, we weren't part of that clique, you know. Right. Um, you know, even, and I took it, I, I took it kind of hard at the time because, I felt like, man, I've, I've been in this scene longer than almost all these guys. <laughs> right. But were they saying that you yeah. were like, what, were you guys like the, the polished version of, of grunge or something? Like, is that, you know, what were they saying? No, it, they were, they were kind of saying that we were kind of like, you know, grunge wannabes. We were kind of like, um, um, you know, writing other, other people's coattails, all this stuff that wasn't true because the fact is, we never got any help whatsoever from any band there in Seattle. We did it all by ourselves. Right. Um, we made it completely without any help from any of the managers in Seattle. Um, we made it completely without any kind of help from any band in Seattle. We did it all on our own. Right. So I, I just kind of found that ironic that anybody would really say, say that kind of stuff. Um, and of course we were, we were at the time, you know, young and we were kind of like, we were, we were pretty bummed out. Um, at the time, that, that we weren't totally accepted. Right. So we, we started to get acceptance later. So, um, so how old were you when you kind of when when things started kind of rolling a little bit? I was about I was about in my mid twenties. Okay. Twenty five, twenty six. Yeah. So, so what's it? You know, walk me through this. Like you're start. So you start touring a little bit. I guess you're doing like the van thing for a little while. Yep. Yep. And then, so you get picked. You get picked up on a label, or were you already on a label when you guys were touring? Yeah, at that point we were on. Um, uh, we had a couple guys check us out. A couple big labels passed on us. Um, one label did not. They were called Maverick Warner Brothers. Guy Siri was the uh, one of the heads of A and R there. He took a chance with us. Wasn't that Madonna's label? Yes, exactly. And we were we were Madonna uh, Madonna's label. They were. Try- I remember they were trying to set a good friend of mine is the DJ for uh, the Bloodhound Gang and uh, yeah, and they were trying. I think that they were trying to sign Bloodhound Gang around the same. I would say around the, probably around the same time, like ninety. I don't know, 
92, 93, something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Yep, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yep. So go ahead. Yeah, so you guys um, were on. And, yeah, so we got signed to Madonna's label. Um, and we started touring. Exactly. And so the. Um, and. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask about the. Um, about the touring. So when you guys first started going around, it just every time you went back, the, the, there was more people there. I'm taking it. Exactly. Exactly. We slowly started to, to build up a following in the Seattle area. Um, and we started touring. Um, we got offered, we got offered a living color tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and we toured with them and it was great. You know, I was completely blown away by Will Calhoun. Sure. Um, and then after that tour ended, um, our manager calls us and says, guess what? Rush wants you guys on the road with them. And, and we're like, and you're like, oh my God. Are you freaking kidding me? Um, and he's like, no, yeah, they want you on the road. And I'm like, oh, so cool. Um, of course, that was one of my idols. Yeah. You know, Neil Kirk. It's one of my idols. Like, try to learn every lick by him, every everything by him. I think we all so, have. Um, I was just, yeah, hell yeah. And I was just, oh my God, gosh, how cool is that? So, <laughs> we toured with him, you know, and I remember, I'll never forget it, uh, I was walking toward the stage, going through this hallway, and I see this tall figure in front of me, and he looks at me, and he, he smiles, and he says, hi. I said, hi. Neil, hi, Neil. <laughs> He goes, hi, you're Scott. And he's like, yeah, how do you know? And I think I told you the story. I don't know if I told the story, but I'm like, yeah, you know, you he was saying, we talked for a bit, kind of, you know, um, got the formalities out of the way. And he said, you know, you know, Scott, I'm, I'm the one that pretty much chooses who goes on tour with us. And I got this stack of CDs. I didn't like any of them, but I put yours on. And I really liked it. I really liked the way you approach rhythm. I really liked the way you did this. Really? And I said, well, thank you, Neil. You know, that's what I've got to do. I really have to do. My tongue. <laughs> I don't get starstruck easily. I met Madonna. I met all these other stars. I didn't I didn't care right. about that. But when Neil said that, I... I almost, I, I, I swear to God, I need, I need a diaper, you know. Um, I swear, I need, I need to put on some depends. I was just like, wow. Um, so, did you get um, to hang with him a lot on the tour? Did you guys, did you guys rap a lot or? Not, not too much. No, we, we hung out a little bit here and there, you know. Um, they kind of do their own thing. They would do their own thing, um, and and we were, we were only with them for. I'd say a month or two, as I recall. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, what a, it was just a great experience for us. We were just kids and, and they were probably the coolest, best band we had ever toured with. They were just so kind, accommodating. They were, they were just all, you know, Alex, especially Alex Tyson was, was, would always hang out with us on the bus and drink beer with us and all that stuff. He was just super down to earth. You know, it was just a great experience. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So you guys, I mean, you guys toured with, with Living Color, you said, Rush. Um, I think you guys done some stuff with, like, what, like the Flaming Lips and uh, Aerosmith and some other people? 
Yeah, Aerosmith was actually when I was not in the band. Um, the Flaming, I left the band in '97. Um, oh, okay. But before that, we actually toured with. Uh, um, we toured with. Um, um, prior to that, we toured with Metallica. We got that show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got kind of burnt out. I got tired of it, um, and I quit the band around '97. Um, and at that point, we had sold about four million records. I was just burnt out and tired. Right. I really was. Like um, musically, or just it. like just everything? Was it everything across the board? Yeah. There wasn't one. There wasn't one reason. I was just bored. Right. I think, tired of it. Um, that's when I left, and I kind of too much partying. Started and... to dabble in exactly yeah, a lot of partying. Um, <laughs> right. A lot of that kind of stuff. Um, I left the band. Um, and I started playing, you know, a lot of other stuff, kind of got back in my jazz roots, and I really started actually playing the Hammer Dulcimer a lot. Really? Um, I did some recordings with it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I took some, and then I traveled abroad for about a year, and I kind of left drums completely for almost a whole year in play. Wow. Um, I traveled abroad, just traveled around the world, um, and I experienced other cultures. So where'd you go? Where'd you go? I bought home I went, well, I basically went to L.A. and took a right turn. Um, <laughs> went to awesome. Fiji, Australia, Thailand, India. Um, spent a lot of time in India, spent a lot of time in Thailand. Um, and I really became influenced by a lot of Indian music. I went and heard, heard a lot of Indian music. Um, went to Egypt. I went all over Europe. Um, I got exposed to a lot of different cultures, especially when it came to the symbolom. Mm-hmm. Um, and a symbolom is the, uh, is the Hungarian dulcimer. I played hammer, I started pretty much playing hammer dulcimer exclusively. Um, and fast forward a bit, got back to Seattle, um, started playing drums again around town, and I started playing with this incredibly talented young woman named Brandy Carlisle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did some, I did a record with her and did some shows with her. Um, ended up not working out. I was uh, kind of still not really in any kind of mood to tour right. um, or, or commit to anything. So I stayed at home, and um, and then I got uh, let's see, hooked up with a lot of other you know local artists, did a couple things. Um, and I'm just fast forwarding it here, and then and then I got a phone call from Pete, and he's like, you know, Maverick is going to put a best of record out for Candlebox. And I said, oh, wow. And he says, you know, um, Kevin wants to to uh, tour on it. And I said, huh, well, you know, I said, well, you know what? I wasn't doing anything really at that time. I said, you know what? Let's do it. That sounds good. Great. Um, you know, um, and at that point, actually, around town, I didn't, I should mention, too, when I was in L.A., I played with an incredible guitarist named um, Johnny Graham, who who played with Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. And um, I started, and he was actually a pretty big influence on me when I was in L.A. Um, and so when I got back to Seattle, I was actually playing with a lot of a lot of funk bands um, after I left uh, Randy Carlisle. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. And then again, I got, I got the call from Pete, and I said, okay. I'll do it. Sure. And thinking it was going to be just a short mini tour and that was it. And that was back in 2006. 
Um, and look where we are. <laughs> Still touring. Still touring. Well, that's good though, man. I'm, you know. Yeah. As long you know, as long as yeah. as long as you're into it, then you know, yeah. as long as everybody's into it, then then why not? Yeah, exactly. You know, and you got. I mean, from what you know, from what the vibe was on the bus and and at the show and everything. I mean, it seemed like it seemed like you guys are all uh, you guys are all into it. So, which is which is good oh, yeah. to see. Yeah, you know? totally. Totally. And I, yeah. you know, after a while, you get a little burned out on the road, and it's it's nice to step back and and kind of t- oh, yeah. take a deep breath. And- yeah, of course. You know, but but now that we're older, you know, I can I can speak for myself. Uh, I I I took everything for granted back then mm-hmm. when I was when I was younger, and now I don't do that anymore. Right. Now I'm, I'm I, I consider myself very fortunate to be to have this opportunity. Um, and to be playing with the guys I'm playing with, right. you know, and so I don't look at it as a right so much anymore, you know, to, to be able to, in this day and age, at my age, to be able to make a living doing it is about the best thing you could ask for. Right. So when you, I mean, when you guys, when you guys like f- first really hit it hard and like you're, you know, you're doing your first bus tour and, and, uh, you know, you're you're playing with all these with all these big names and everything. Were you like, this is never going to end? Like, this is just it's just going to be. Um, no, not really. I, no? I honestly, I didn't. No, I kind of knew. You know, I mean, I I kind of felt like I didn't feel invincible. I, that was just wasn't my nature. Right. I don't know why. I I just always felt like you know, this kind of thing. We're, we're very blessed and fortunate, but this kind of thing probably, you know, it, it can't last forever because, you know, it's music. Right. And music it's the nature is of the beast. extremely fickle. Exactly. And I've never been in a band that, that prior to Candlebox, I've never been in a band that lasted forever. Right. So, so I didn't really have any delusions, so to speak, of, you know. Right, right, right. But never not being big. <laughs> But it's got to be a great feeling the first time you walk on your first tour bus, though. Oh God! Yeah, and you're like uh, that was the best feeling ever. Where you're like, oh my God! No, uh, we were we were just we were just oh my God! This is so cool. We got a tour bus. Wow. Yeah. Which and it is, you know, it's it's still cool. That, oh yeah, you, know? you bet. It definitely oh, yeah. is. But I know that a lot of times, you know, you'll hear guys that are, you know, no matter who they were playing with, they're they're doing like these massive tours and you know, 10 tractor trailers and everything. And they're like, well, I thought it was going to last forever. You know, yeah. and they don't, and it doesn't, and a lot of guys don't plan for it, you know, and yes, which is exactly. a shame. It is, you know, a lot of bands and we did this too in the beginning. A lot of bands get in trouble with spending, right? They get a lot of money. Sure. Um, and instead of investing it, they just spend it on nice houses and cars. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it all ends, they, don't have their house and car for much longer. Right. Um, so absolutely, you're right. Yeah. Let's go to 2006. We'll jump to that. Um, so you guys come out with the with the best of record, and uh, and then so you guys have been have been touring ever since yep. then. So now you guys are back on the road, obviously. Um, so what so what are the are there plans in the future for you yep. know some more records and 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 uh, some more touring, or is it just kind of like Yes, we're gonna we're gonna 
We're going to work on a uh, an acoustic record, I think. Rumored. It's a rumor. <laughs> um, and we're going to be working on that, um, you know, um, probably in February. We're going to tour a bit more this year. Um, and mm-hmm. we're going to take some time off for the holidays because uh, we are getting older and we are tired. <laughs> um, and we miss our families, you know. Um, sure. So we're sure. gonna we're gonna start recording writing probably in February, um, possibly an acoustic record. So um, we're gonna take a little break here from from at least from from touring the states uh, next year. Right. So yeah, that's 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 about it. And in the meantime, um, what I'm gonna be doing is is teaching in the Seattle area, and I'll probably you know be digging a while too. You know I. I think right. I mentioned, too, I, I play with Jeff Tate once in a while. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about that last week. Yeah, and he's, he's in the man. I'm going to do a few shows with him in Mexico in December. Um, oh, nice. And, yeah, yeah, he's always he's always wonderful. But he's an incredibly talented guy. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's kind of what I have planned for the short term. That's good. That's good to hear. So you're going to, yeah. you're saying you're not going to tour too much next year in the in the States or? Yeah, I can box anyway. Right. Um, right. We're gonna look, we're gonna probably you know head if we get to go anywhere it's gonna be probably um, you know in or it's probably gonna be pretty much um, international. Right. Makes sense. Well, cool. Yeah. So I gotta ask you for for guys that are listening to this and you know younger guys coming up, um, what's some advice that you have for for younger guys that are trying to trying to do what what you're doing and and try to make a career out of this um i would say you know probably the hardest thing to do is is really focus on technique um practice 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 um and be open-minded to everything all music um don't be as just say yes kind of thing yeah exactly just say yes (laughs) (laughs) you know how that goes um I would say, you know, to anyone that's starting out, just be open-minded. Um, and, and there's no substitute for practice. Um, and, and you know, I, I try to tell my students, you know, if there's anything, you know, you know I'm going to teach you how to read music, but reading is a, it's a skill, not a talent. Right. Um, you're going to be taking it from here, and you're going to be deciding how, how, how successful you want to be at playing drums. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I would say all drummers should learn how to play jazz. All drummers should learn how to play Latin. All drummers should learn how to play rock. Totally um, agree. That makes you, yeah, I mean, I think it, it makes you better at each at each thing. I really mean that. Um, at each, I should say, at each genre. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, how about uh, mistakes that you made that you would that you would turn back and and kind of do over again if you could. I wouldn't get married. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Hey man, that's um, you know. Boy, I mean, you know, I've made so many mistakes. I I can't even count <laughs> whether it's you know spend money on stupid stuff. Um, you know, I probably you know I I I regret kind of regret leaving the band when I did because I, I was kind of unappreciative at that point. I was burnt out a little bit too, but I was just right. kind of like, you know, kind of unappreciative about everything. Um, let's see. Uh, there's a, gosh, like I said, there's, there's, I can't even, 
count how many things I wish I would have done, you know, differently. Um, right. You know, um, but I don't have any re- regrets because everything that I've done wrong, I've learned from. I've tried to learn. Sure. Um, and, and that's the biggest thing. If you're going to make, mistakes. you know, everybody makes mistakes. It's it's what you learn from the mistakes that really exactly, exactly. that really, uh, you know, separates you from from other people. I should say. Exactly, I I agree a hundred percent. And I think I think by making mistakes, um, you know, even bad ones, it it makes you less and more. I think it actually humbles you even more. And it and it makes you more inclined not to make those same mistakes again. I agree. And one more question. So, sure. What, what, do you, what was one of the um, the one of the hurdles that you had to overcome? Like something that that really held you back that you that you felt was like really, you know, holding you back from your success that that you kind of overcame. Was there anything that you can think of that was like that was glaring? Uh, you know, that was really holding you back that that you were like, man, I really got to get this down or figure this out or anything like that. Um, boy, that's a good question. Um, I think, boy, let me see. Oh, I, I know there was something that, you know, it was, I think, I think with me, um, the thing that always kind of held me back was, was pretty much kind of like, you know, uh, uh, when I was younger, I had kind of a lack of confidence. So I right. would say it was almost myself um, mm-hmm. at that time. You know, like I didn't, I thought, you know, no matter how hard I practiced, no matter how good I, I got, um, I'll never be successful um, right. because it's, it's drums and music and it's too hard. Um, mm-hmm. And when I finally started to believe that it was possible and I got older, I gained more confidence and I feel like that was that was a big hump for me. Um, in 1995, when I was voted... Um, um, up and up and coming drummer of the year. I actually tied with uh, Trey Cool um, in Modern Drum <sighs> Magazine. I was like, I felt so unbelievably honored, Nick. I couldn't believe it. I was just, wow, me, why me? Um, and that made me feel like, like you know, for the first time in my life, I really felt like it felt like when you know Tom Collier asked me to play with him. Um, right. And like that was like a moment that I'll never forget. Like, that your all your hard work is starting to pay yeah. off. I'm not such a bad drummer after all. Right, and it's. I think I, I you know, I remember um, Daniel Glass told me before. He said, "Never, never overestimate your competition and underestimate yourself." Exactly. You know, which which I kind of really hit home with me because I think everybody suffers from that as a as a drummer or as a musician and and just in life that you know it's like oh these guys are are so good and i'll never be that good kind of thing so yeah exactly exactly you know um like neil pert when he complimented me i never thought i was worthy of of, you know right you know i still kind of don't but you know (laughs) it was just a great thing yeah well you know but it it was such such a great feeling, you know, just like right. that was kind of like when I, okay, now I guess, you know, if, if Neil Pert likes my playing, I can't be that bad. Right. I don't, I don't <laughs> suck that much. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I can't, I don't suck as much as I, as I think I do. Right. Right. 
Well, awesome, man. Thank you so much for, for taking your time to, to do this, man. It took a little bit to get My it together pleasure. today, but but it was I great, man. I, we'll have to do this again uh, next time you're in town. I got I to gotta come to Seattle or something. And, hey, you know. yeah, you're welcome to hang out. When you're, uh, when you're in Seattle, just let me know. Um, you know, if you need a place to stay, just let me know. I'll set you up. Hey, man, I appreciate that. You bet, of course. And thanks so much. Enjoy the rest of the tour. Safe travels. And, uh, you know, break a leg out there. Okay. Well, thank you, Nick. It was great hanging out with you in New York and Dave and great, great talking with you too. Yeah, man. Absolutely. We'll have to do this again soon. I'd love to. Cool, man. Thanks again, Scott. I appreciate it. Okay. You betcha. All right. All right. See ya. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. That was Scott Mercado from the group Candlebox. And you can check those guys out on tour. Go to their website, candleboxrocks.com. And it has all their dates on there. Be sure to visit the website, drummersresource.com, or like our page on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash drummersresource. You can also reach me on Twitter at Nick underscore Ruffini, R-U-F-F-I-N-I. And until then, keep drumming. Thanks for listening. Peace.